Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to Girl on Fire podcast on the Believe Network, New York's number one podcast network for personal growth. This is your host, Kirsten Franklin. Hey guys, on this week's episode, we have with us a serial entrepreneur who built many successful companies from the ground up. She had a a few million dollar exits and her life kind of came crashing down, right? She had a personal health issue. uh, She had the loss of her husband. And we're going to talk about the ups and downs and actual blessings that came from some of the worst moments in time for this fabulous woman. So please welcome Kim Sorrell. Thank you, Kirsten. So lovely to be here. I <laughs> love it, love it. All right. Now, Kim, these days you're an author, a speaker, a director of a philanthropic organization. Like you have all the stuff you have, you've written two books, but there was a moment in time kind of when you had exited sort of that entrepreneurial lifestyle and something happened and it was pretty tragic. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, life was going along pretty good. I, we actually, I, married the love of my life. I had uh, great years with him. He was fabulous, fabulous guy and very good looking, by the way. And uh, <laughs> So great in pictures. But anyway, um, so uh, we worked together, we coached together, we did all kinds of things together. And our kids had grown and we finally became empty nesters. And we were so looking forward to that moment. I'm not sure why, except uh, you know, maybe we could run around the house naked. I, I don't know, whatever it was that we finally, finally exactly, <laughs> exactly. No one's going to knock on the door, whatever. Uh, but we'd finally become empty nesters. And about three weeks after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which is cancer of any kind is a devastating diagnosis. I had no idea what to do. I went to the bookstore and everything was either very depressing or it was uh, very medical and nothing really told yeah. the story. You know, what is it really like? I actually wrote a book because I started writing about it so that other people would know what the journey is like. But then my husband started having stomach issues and went to the doctor a few times. And I finally said, baby, you got to go to the hospital because their doctor's not doing anything. They're telling you to take Tums and Rolates and nothing. And so I had just had another surgery. So he took himself to the hospital. And he was a rule follower. And this was in 09 when all the signs in the emergency room say that you can't use your cell phone. And so he didn't use his cell phone. So I was waiting at home and waiting, waiting. And finally got a phone call. And he said, so Kim, I guess uh, they're keeping me overnight. And I'm like, they don't ever keep anybody overnight. What is that about? And so I quit, put on real clothes instead of the sports I'd been living in and drove like a maniac in my Vicodin-induced state to the hospital. And shortly before I got there, he called again. And he said, well, I guess there's a spot on my liver. Oh, my gosh. I just started bawling. And I'm just bawling and bawling. I don't even remember really parking my car. But I ran into the emergency room. I said, where's my husband? Where's my husband? And he, they directed me into the right place. And I whipped back the curtain. And there he was sitting on the edge of the bed, like nothing is going on. And he said, I am not going to invite you out anymore if this is the way you're going to behave. 
<laughs> and I said, you are not allowed to be funny right now. Well, it took a few days, but a few days later, we got a pancreatic cancer diagnosis. And he lived for six wonderful weeks. We had six weeks together that were great. And so then I continued my cancer journey uh, that I kind of put on hold for his and got everything else done I needed to get done. And then I wasn't sure what I was going to do. This is a whole new life. You know, empty nester was one thing you know, being alone was a whole nother thing. Yeah. I mean, like just, just even what you're talking about right now, like that's massively, you just can't even, you can't even imagine what the hell just happened. Right. Like, I mean, I like you tell me the story and it's like, I don't even understand how you're still standing. Right. I mean, obviously like we live, we're stuck living, so we have to move on, right? And eventually we can, you know, level back up. But I'm like, that's incredible. Here you are going through, and I've been through cancer too. So I, I totally understand that slap in the face shock, like, well, wait a second, aren't we only just told it's just death all the time, right? And so you have this diagnosis, you have to emotionally deal with that, all the physical stuff that goes on with that. And then bam, right? Like that's, that's crazy. I am so sorry that that happened to you. Like, that's just nuts. Yeah. Well, um, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. It was nuts. I mean, how, yeah. when does that happen that we both get diagnosed and pancreatic cancer, of course, is ridiculous. Right. In yeah. fact, my youngest son was uh, doing his undergrad at the time and he completely changed his course. He was going to, he was looking at medicine, uh, being an MD and whatever field, I don't know, but he decided instead to get his PhD and be a cancer researcher. So, Aww. yeah, so now he has his PhD and actually decided to get his MD along with it. So he's in his third year of med school now, but, but yeah, I mean, he's found out some great things, uh, made some great discoveries. He's been published a bunch of times. So I'm very proud of it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So now, now here you are. So you had mentioned that you had sort of been writing about this journey, right? So now were you, were you kind of keeping a journal? Were you writing in time or did you reflect back and start writing? Because this kind of culminated into your first published book, right? Cry until you laugh. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so uh, what I did is I started writing emails, sending out emails. It was 2008. So it's emails rather than Facebook page or whatever. (laughs) And um, so I started writing emails as a way to keep my family updated. So to Mm -hmm. tell them, you know, instead of calling everybody and saying, tomorrow I'm going to the doctor, I'm having surgery, whenever, whatever it happens to be. So I started writing. And before I knew it, 5,000 people were reading my emails because it was much more than just I'm going to the doctor. It was how I was feeling, what I was going through. And, And so I wrote when I felt like writing, you know, sometimes once a week, sometimes more than once a week. And so I continued writing through everything with my husband and I continued to write um, beyond that as well. And so the book really is just all those emails that I sent out. Wow. Wow. And tell me, you know, what was the last line that you wrote in that book? I think the last line I wrote in the book is tomorrow I leave for Haiti. (laughs) Now that's something because I know now like what happened after that, right? So, so there you are, all this has transpired. You are wherever you are mentally, emotionally, physically, and you being you, you're like, 
fuck it. I'm going to go help even more people, right? Like that's just who you are, right? So you're going out. And now tell me a little bit about Haiti. Now, is this with Rays of Hope International or was this something else? No, it was with Rays of Hope International, actually at the end of 09. So my husband passed away in March of 09. At the end of 09, I'd finally gotten through all of my stuff and was at a healthy place and wasn't sure what I was going to do. If I was going to go back into business, um, if I was going to just retire from life, you know, I wasn't sure, but I knew I had to do something. And I'd been involved. I'd uh, run a nonprofit before. I'd been involved in nonprofit work for years already. And so I ran into a guy in the grocery store that was running an organization that my father started years before. And I said, hey, do you need any help? You know, like bookkeeping, you know, whatever. And he said, oh, booking, that would be so great. And so I thought, well, January 1st, you know, clean books. That'll be that'll be good. So January 1st of 2010, I started as part-time bookkeeper at Rays of Hope International. And 12 days later, there was an earthquake in Haiti that killed 200,000 people. So my part-time bookkeeping job went to seven days a week, full on. And two weeks after the earthquake, I landed in Port-au-Prince and uh, didn't look back. And I, for the next several years, I was there every month. Yeah. And so now, you know, and again, so when you were doing this, when you were engaging, because I know some of the crazy stories, which I hope you tell some of them, <laughs> um, but, you know, because there, there was a lot of, now there's even more craziness. I know we've got 16 missionaries or something that have just been kidnapped for a million dollar ransom each. I mean, it's always been a little cray cray over there, but apparently it's going off the ledge now. Right. So, yes. But as you're, as you're engaging and as you're doing this, like, were you, Again, were you writing emails or thinking, hey, this could be my next book, right? Like, what were you thinking at that time? Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't. It was so busy. I was so consumed with everything going on and and making things happen. I was part of the um, logistics committee for the UN. I was just trying to get as much into the country as possible to help people, things that you can buy in country, you know, building supplies that weren't available and food that wasn't available at the time and tents, tarps, you know, anything for coverage and, and just working the docks and working it. But like a couple of years into that, I just, I, I actually, I questioned love after losing the love of my life. I questioned what, what is love really? And I heard about a man that was going to write a book. He was going to live a year like Jesus and write a book about it. And I thought, you know what, you know, no matter who you think Jesus is, if you live a year like anybody, it's going to change your life, right? And I'm sure the book is exactly what he wanted, but I was uh, kind of disappointed because it was about wearing sandals and having a drink at a bar with strangers. And it wasn't any aha moments, you know, deep spiritual connecting moments. And I thought, well, how would I do that differently? And here I am questioning love. And I thought, well, you know, in my faith, I believe God is love. So if I lived love, wouldn't that be the same as trying to live the right way? And so I decided to do that. I decided to dedicate a year to live love. And so I took a 2,000-year-old poem that you hear at a lot of weddings, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, et cetera. And I took it one word at a time, at first thinking I would take one word a month, there's 14 words. So the math doesn't quite work out to a year. So it did take me more than a year. I'm a little slow learner on some of the things I think, but I learned things. 
so I, I just lived it. You know, I, the first one I just worked on, what is love that is patient? What does that even mean? And every single word, Kirsten, surprised me. It wasn't what Noah described in the dictionary. It was much different than that. Um, when you put love with it, patience is a whole new word. Kind is a whole new word. So it changed my life and rocked my world. So let me ask you this. What do you think the biggest surprise was for you coming out of, of you know, these words and living that journey? You know, so each word has its own, has its own thing mm -hmm. uh, to it, its own meaning. But the, the overlying everything, the thing that encompasses it all is that love with love with real love you know there's no manual right you don't go to the bookstore and there's a manual this is love and and so you learn from your parents you learn from friends you learn from whoever you learn from and you learn some good and some bad about love and uh don't necessarily truly understand it so the the biggest thing is that with love there's complete freedom complete freedom like it frees you in unbelievable ways to just love everybody to not have any judgment not have any I'm better than not have any I'm different is just beautiful right you know everything is it's, it's about freedom it's very freeing right but what was you know like you had mentioned that you know uh living them that you think it's one thing and as you live it, it you realize it's something else what do you think the, the out of all the words that you sort of live? What do you think was the surprise for you? The one that changed the most for you? The one that you saw it so much differently than you did going in? That would be love does not keep a record of wrongs. That was one of the lines, mm -hmm. and and I thought you know when you argue with somebody, especially your spouse or your partner, mm -hmm. things elevate, right? Your blood pressure goes up, you start fighting, and pretty soon you're going, well, last Tuesday, you didn't take out the garbage, and three years ago, <laughs> remember that time that you didn't make the bed, or you left your underwear on the floor, you know, whatever, you go back to all these things, and love doesn't keep record of wrongs, and and so I, I lived this moment in Haiti, would you like me to tell you this story? Okay. Uh, got, by the way, anybody listening to this, you're going to want to buy the book, she's got the craziest stories. <laughs> I thought it was crazy because I have actual, you know, arms dealer friends, but I was like, no, nope, she wouldn't surprise. <laughs> yeah, there was some crazy stuff that happened for sure. But so I got a phone call from a pastor from Missouri who uh, was working on this water project and they wondered if they wanted to get involved and they asked if I would go with them to Haiti meet them down there and show them the water project. I'm like, sure, you know, the more the merrier. This is great. So eight men from the United States went down. And then I brought two of my Haitian friends who happen to be men with me to translate and uh, be there and know the way, the directions, whatever. And so we get there and there's a wall, a cement wall around the place where we're staying out in the country out in the middle of nowhere. And the building inside the gate is a tiny little building with two rooms. And each room has four twin beds. So there's eight men from America, two Haitian men, me, eight beds. And, but we brought a couple cots and we brought an air mattress. So I'm thinking, 
we're okay. You know, we'll all find a place to sleep. We can put more beds in the rooms, you know, whatever. I'm of an air mattress in the middle. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, all right. <laughs> yeah. So we get there and look around and the head guy from Missouri calls me and said, Kim, Kim, can I talk to you? Sure. And he said, did you see the rooms? And I'm like, buddy, there's nothing else to see. Like, you know, of course I saw the rooms. Yes. Yes, I did. And I'm thinking, oh, because there's eight beds in the room and there's only two rooms. I'm thinking, oh, he's he's going to think that I'm going to want my own room. And so I'm going to say, oh, that's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he'll go, no, no, no. If anybody should sleep inside, it should be you. And then, and then I'll say, well, I don't care if people are in my same room, you know, you just go in there to sleep. And then he would say, oh, well, that's great. That's great. And everything would be okay. So I said, that's okay. I'll sleep outside. And he went, oh, good, good, good. Because I was, I was so worried, you know, and and there's, Right, right, right. And there's men here that don't want to sleep with a woman in the room. And I'm thinking, uh, I wear clothes. Doesn't everybody wear clothes to bed? Like, what am I going to do in the middle of the night in 90 degree Haiti? Anyway, so I looked around trying to figure out where I was going to sleep. And there were these two sort of Haitian sawhorses and there was this piece of plywood. And I thought, well, if I gather, you know, at least I won't get rained on, you know, whatever. And there was the air mattress. So the first night... I'm thinking all I want is for not a snake or tarantula or chupacabra or whatever it happens to be to come crawling my way, right? That was my fear. <laughs> so I, so I, I put the air mattress up um, and, uh, and I'm on like gravel, dirt, and the air mattress held air for about an hour. But there were dogs barking. How did you, did you blow it up? Because I mean, there's no electricity. Yes, blew it up. Yes, yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun for an hour, for an hour's worth of good air. So, and there's dogs barking, there's horns honking. It's so loud, so, so loud. And, uh, but then everything died down. Around midnight, 1 a.m., everything died down. Then the voodoo drums started in the distance. (laughs) And they went, and they went, and they went. And then I heard... Oh, this horrible sound, um, animal sacrifice. That doesn't happen very often in Haiti. It's not like everybody who um, practices voodoo uh, does any kind of sacrifice like that. But what did on that night? You got to hear it. Fabulous. Right, (laughs) exactly. Yes. And so I finally, you know, settled down to sleep. And first night, nothing, nothing landed. It was great. You know, thank you, Lord. No. You want to sleep outside more than one night? Oh, five nights, five nights. Oh, hell no, Beyonce. <laughs> Where's the helicopter? I just got to go. You have fun in your little cave there. Uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> well, funny, funny you should mention helicopter because in my mind, I'm thinking if I get bit by something, where's the anti-venom? Where are going? Right. Right? Like, are they going to somehow come up with a helicopter and airlift me to safety or, you know, what's going to happen? Right. So, so the second night again, you know, with the horns and the dogs and the voodoo drums and the whatever, and finally, you know, 5 a.m. or something, I, I get an hour or so asleep and or I'm dozing anyway. And I slept on my back, which I don't normally do, 
but I thought that was the quickest way to get up and run if I had to, if there was something, you know, right, right. That I had to run from. <laughs> but I was also prepared, like if something did crawl on me, land on me, like I wasn't going to jerk because then it would bite me, right? So second night, early in the morning, I felt something on my leg. And I went, oh, oh no. So I slowly lifted my head and slowly opened my eyes to see what it was. It was a chicken. It was a dang chicken. I, I was grateful, but I was so mad at the dang chicken because that was the only sleep I was getting. And there was a chicken <laughs> on my leg. Way better than a tarantula, way better than a snake or whatever it could be, but a chicken. Oh my God. So the next night was uneventful, you know, kind of the same routine. But then the next night, something landed on me or crawled on me, but was on me. Oh. And again, I slowly lifted my head. I was afraid to open my eyes. I wasn't sure what I was going to do. And the chicken had come back. It was the chicken again. Oh so, you know, thank goodness. Yeah. Thank goodness it wasn't something worse and I didn't get bit by anything. But, you know, at the time I, I was a little bitter. I was thinking, geez, you guys, you know, how'd your mamas raise you? Like, this isn't right. This isn't what men do, right? Make the only woman sleep outside. Like, you know, I mean, I'm all about equal rights and whatever, but this was taking it a little far, I thought. <laughs> and, you know, they're all bigger than me and stronger than me. You know, they could fend something off easier. And so at first I was a little bitter about it. And, and then love doesn't keep record of wrongs. And I realized it dawned on me that what that means is you don't forget what happened. You don't forget he left his underwear on the floor four years ago or didn't take out the trash last Tuesday. Like you don't forget those things. I don't, I'm never going to forget that story, right? I'm never going to forget those five nights and days. Great things came of it. They did get involved in big ways with the water project and they installed thousands of water filters. It was wonderful and it was worth it, you know, for the five nights. But the story changed in that the narrative changed. So the story is still there, but instead of being bitter, which only hurts me, right? So instead of being bitter, now it's just a funny story, you know, something I've lived through and now I can sleep anywhere. And so love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, just changes the narrative. Right. And if you go into even the other parts of that, like love of understanding, if you could be so understanding that you can't really be angry at them because they've never been to Haiti before. They don't understand that sleeping outside is not like your backyard where you're playing pitch a tent. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 you, know, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I love, I would have never done that girl. I would have been like, no peace. I'm going to find you someone else. I'm gonna be like, There's no way in hell. Well, I'm also, you know, a city girl, so I'm not really big on, you know, when we go camping or something, we have massive tents, right? So it's like, it's almost like you're in a house, only it's built out of plastic, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's more like a glamping rather than camping. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not you know? And, and I'm very, like, I don't want to kill anything, but dude, don't come at me. Just don't come at me. <laughs> yeah. And there's so much stuff out there. Like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Nope. Oh, my God. So now here you are, you, you had all these experiences and you ended up writing this book, Love Is. Tell me a little bit about the book. So um, the book, every chapter just kind of starts out with what I think it is, what I think love is patient, love is kind, what I, you know, what I think that word, the word of the month is. 
And then how I discover what the word truly means. So the story behind the word. So it's what I was really going through in Haiti. You know, all of the the good, the bad, and the ugly, just the, the truth of the experience. Now, for, for all those who are listening, if they are to go and get the book, what is kind of like the one thing you'd hope they walk away with? I would hope that people would get a whole new understanding of love and realize what an important thing love is in our lives. And it's not just about couples. It's not even just right. about friends. It's about the people that you see. It's about the cashier at the grocery store. You know, it's about the annoying neighbor or that brother-in-law who's on the other side of the political fence than you are, you know? So it, it tears down so many walls and gives you such a fuller life if you learn to love the right way. I love it. I love it. Well, guys, you heard it here. Love tears down all the walls. I hope you guys go and get the book. We're going to put the link to uh, Kim's uh, book. It's on pre-order right now. I believe it comes out when? December 7th? December 7th, yes. And and is that something that they can find on Amazon? If they were to do a search on Amazon, would they search love is, or is there a key term that they should be looking for? Love is? Okay. Yeah, Love Is. Um, there are other books I found out called Love Is because that's, of course, the way things happen. Kim Sorrell. <laughs> Kim Sorrell, yes. And my and I'm the only Kim Sorrell in the world, actually, that spelled my way. Really? Yeah, with way too many letters. Isn't that crazy? But it's true. I know. Who is their only name? But, you know, it's S-O-R-R-E-L-L-E. Lots of extra letters. Everybody spells it wrong, but it's all good. Now, see, now it finally works in your favor. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now that there is the internet of things and social media, they all work. Right. Finally. Right. That's all you hope for all this time. <laughs> yes. yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Awesome. And if they want to connect with you, what's the best place to find you? I have a website, loveis.info or uh, com, And they can contact me there. I have an email, Kim at KimSorrell.com. Um, I love to hear from people and uh, love to, you know, connect with anybody who wants to. Awesome. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Kirsten. This has been so fun. So that is it for this week. Thank you for joining me. And I hope that you enjoyed today's show. If so, don't forget to rate it. If you guys have a pressing question, feel free to tweet me at CS Thrive or on Instagram at Thrive Tribe 3.14159. Again, I know that's a weird one. It's just pi. So it's three, it's Thrive underscore Tribe underscore 3.14159. Or of course, you can join me in Facebook at my free group, which is Thrive Tribe Global. If you just search groups and you enter in Thrive Tribe Global, you should see us there and you can join it for free. I answer your questions in there, but if you guys send me a question through there, I will be sure to answer it here on this podcast. And as always, if you're ever interested in advertising on the show, please contact the Believe Network at Believe, B-L-E-A-V, at Believe.com. Thanks so much for joining me.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.